It's that time of year, isn't it, when I look at a lot of businesses and this is often the quietest time of year in the business life. Except maybe for one sector. Anyone, any ideas where gyms? This is the time of year when record number of people get signed up into gym membership. And it's that idea of really wanting to get into shape. Lots of people look at this and think, this is it, this year, this is New Year resolution, I'm going to do it. I'm going to actually sign up, which means I'm committed. And it doesn't just mean for two weeks I'm going to go to the gym, but this is going to become a lifestyle. A lifestyle of fitness. Do you know there are millions of articles that will invade our social media feeds and invade our email inboxes to try and sell that quick fix to extreme weight loss or finding the perfect body in four weeks with this routine. Have you seen those? Anybody signed up to a gym this year? We got one. Well done. Are you going to last it out, do you think? Okay. Do you know, when it comes to prayer, I think our mentality can be the same. I think, I um, don't know how you found this week praying, but prayer is a battle, isn't it? It's difficult. And I know, honestly, when I speak to many people, and I think about myself, we're all looking for that consistent prayer life. How do I get this consistent prayer life with God? How do I shape up this year where I'm going to get those regular times? And actually, we end up looking for that quick fix, I think. And I know I've spoken to many friends. I have many friends who have asked me, what's the secret to the consistent prayer life? And do you know, I, speaking to lots of, I meet lots of leaders and uh, asking, you know, how do you do your prayer life? That's one of the questions I ask them. How do you develop that consistent prayer life? And you have those who are those early morning guys, you know, they talk about being up at 5 a.m. in the morning. They said, all you need is a good coffee machine. Good, strong cup of coffee in the morning. And that's it. You sort it. You get up, you get that coffee, and you're praying. Guess what? I've got a coffee machine. It doesn't help me to be consistent in prayer. You have those who get up and do that early morning walk, okay? And uh, they're up at six in the dark, and they're walking, and you think, okay, I'll give it a go. And of course, you might manage it for a few days, and then... You think, this is just crazy. What am I doing? I'm so tired. And then you have those who are the journalists. We all know the journalists. And, and normally they've got some sort of moleskin journal. There's something special about the moleskin journal, I think. Moleskin. This is the secret to the consistent prayer life, is to have a moleskin journal. We soon realize that actually... We get that moleskin journal, I've got one, and for a week it's great, you've got a week worth of entries in there about what you're praying for and looking back and some prayer quotes in there, but you suddenly find that another week's gone by and you turn back and you go, I haven't been in this for a week. And finding that consistency is incredibly hard. And I guess what I realised, and as we seek this, in striving for a good prayer life, in striving for that consistency, this isn't about a technique, okay? Often we're after that silver bullet, aren't we? 
something that is just going to give us that consistent prayer life that we've always dreamed of. And actually, this is quite an unhelpful way to look at prayer. Because prayer isn't primarily a discipline or a skill. It's actually about a relationship with a person, with Jesus. Okay? And uh, there are loads of good books out there. There are good talks everywhere on the internet about prayer. You know, you could go out and you could read 50 books this year on it. You could go to many conferences on prayer. You could learn strategies and techniques and helpful tips. And they're all good things. But I want to say, unless we can grasp the fundamental truth of God's love for us, his desire for us to come to him, his willingness to hear us and to answer our prayers, then I don't think we're ever going to start to develop the kind of prayer life that I think Jesus desires for us to have. Okay? I want to look at a parable this morning on prayer. And Chris actually touched on this parable in his talk last week, but I want to look at it further in more detail just to help us to lay some crucial foundations when it comes to how we're viewing God when we come to him in prayer. And I want to suggest that unless we get this foundation right, we're going to struggle in our prayer lives to have that consistency. So if you want to turn to Luke 18, this is the parable of the persistent widow. Okay? And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Chris obviously spoke, and if you haven't listened to his talk, please do. It was an excellent talk on asking, seeking, and knocking when it comes to prayer. Um, But looking at this story, I just want to break it down a little bit more for us. Because... The hero of this story, as we read it in Jesus' eyes, is this widow in this story. And so we immediately know by this, she's a widow. She's lost her husband. She's actually at a very emotionally vulnerable stage of her life. She's recently bereaved. But there are another few hints in this parable of Jesus' description of this scenario that gives us a real insight, a real idea of how deep and how dire this widow's situation actually is, okay? The first thing that we see about this widow is that she has absolutely no influence over the judge in this scenario, okay? In this kind of Jewish world that Jesus is speaking into, a judge would have been appointed by God. And he would have been appointed to give out justice on behalf of God to people. And... When you're thinking about a judge, there'd be two motivations that would have directed this judge's actions so that he would do a good job. Firstly, 
Judges should have a healthy fear of God. Okay? Recognizing that God, Yahweh, had put them in this position. That actually they were his representative and to the people. And actually this motivation was they want to represent God so well. They want to be fair and just as God is fair and just. And the second thing that judges would have been motivated by would have been a deep care and compassion for people. Scripture is very clear if we look in Old Testament law especially. We see many examples of instructions given to judges. That they were to show mercy and they were to care for God's people. The scriptures continue to remind us about the fairness and the justice. And actually this widow in this situation with a, with a just judge, she would have been able to appeal to this judge. And on the grounds of mercy, she would have been able to go to this judge and say, show me mercy. Look at my predicament. Look at my circumstances that I'm in. She would have been able to appeal on that half. She would have been able to talk about how she's recently bereaved and grieving and she's actually unable to provide for herself. Because actually in those days, she wouldn't have had a job. Her husband would have been the one bringing in all of the living for them. And she was totally dependent on him. And yet the distinctive thing that we see about the judge in this story is that, one, he neither cares about God or about man. That's what it says. This judge neither cares about God nor man. So immediately, the two ways that this widow could have influenced the judge falls on absolutely deaf ears. Because he doesn't care. He doesn't care about justice, about righteousness, about God. And he doesn't care about this woman. The second thing we see about this widow then is that she literally has no resources. She's got no resources. Typically in those days it would have happened that if you'd have come up against an unjust judge, which would have been about there in those days, okay? What you would have done is rather than going back again and again and again and knowing the answer was going to be no, 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 what you would do is you would gather your resources. You would gather the finances that you have and you would actually pay a bribe. You'd pay a bribe to this judge in order to get justice. Now, it wasn't right, it wasn't legal, it wasn't moral. But this was the culture. This was how it worked in that day. If you came across a, a corrupt judge, you would bribe them to work on your behalf. And commentators point out in this passage that what we see in verse 3 is that the widow keeps going back again and again and again. And it suggests she doesn't have any resources or money to pay the bribe that most people would have paid. So we find out this woman has no influence over the judge. And she has no resources. She can't even pay the guy to get justice. Thirdly, she has no advocates. Typically, a woman would not have been the one who would have went to the court in those days. Usually what would happen is if a woman needed justice, a male family member 
would go on her behalf. And um, obviously we know she doesn't have a husband. She's been widowed. Um, but most people would have had a father or a brother or a cousin or an uncle who would actually go on her behalf and represent her, would fight her case in court for her. So the fact that this widow has to go to the judge herself again and again and again suggests that there is absolutely no one else in her family that can stand up on her behalf. She's totally alone. There's no advocate. There's no one to protect her. There's no one to fight her corner for her. There's no one to comfort her. She started to see the dire situation that this widow is in. She is totally at the mercy of this judge. She has no way of influencing him or buying the justice that she needs. She has no one to represent her and her only hope now is to cry out with the one thing that she does have, and that is her voice. And we get the sense, as we read this story, if we were living in that age, we would get the sense, we would get that understanding of, of the seriousness of the situation that she's in. That actually this story is not going to end well for her. We get the sense that soon this woman is going to run out of food. She's not going to be able to afford shelter. And her situation is highly dangerous. She is likely actually to become a beggar on the streets. There was no social security in those days, in that country. She is utterly dependent on this judge for everything. And you know, Jesus seems to be saying that actually in this parable, this picture is actually an accurate picture of us as we come to him in prayer. We are like this vulnerable widow. How does that make you feel? We are like that vulnerable widow, totally dependent on the judge. I have to be honest, that makes me feel pretty uncomfortable. In fact, not just pretty uncomfortably, highly uncomfortable. Because, do you know what, I tend to see myself as not a particularly vulnerable person, honestly. I see myself as fairly self-sufficient. You know, I get by, I think I do fairly well in life. So being described as an extremely vulnerable wid widow, utterly depending on everything before a judge, kind of jars with me. But the Bible is just absolutely clear that we are, even if we don't know it, totally dependent on him, on God, for everything. Every one of us, whether we are Christians, whether we know Jesus and have a relationship with him or not, actually everything we have is dependent on him. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from him. And I'm not just talking about spiritual things. I'm talking about our food that we eat is dependent on him. Our jobs, our homes, 
our shelter, our health, our safety. Even our very breath that we breathe is dependent on God Almighty. And there's a passage in Acts that explains this excellently. Uh, It's from Acts 17, verse 24. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples but by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. The point of temple worship and serving God is not because God needs anything. We don't pray because we think God needs us to pray. Clearly, he does not need anything. He doesn't need our worship. Actually, there's something here about recognising that he is the source of everything that we have. Prayer is not a religious duty for God's sake. Clearly, this passage says he's not served by human hands. It's our recognition, actually, that he is Jehovah Jireh. He is the provider. He upholds everything in his hands. And so one of the, looking at posture here, we come with a posture of dependence. Dependence on him. And secondly, we come with a posture of humility. We need to recognise that we come to him with that posture. Recognising our need of him. Recognising our frailty and utter dependence on him. And humility makes us come daily to him as we recognise that we are totally dependent. And we won't look at it now, but in the very next story in Luke from this, we read a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector coming to pray to the temple. And the Pharisee, we find out in this story, is a very proud Um, content in his own ability and on his own holiness. And he prays, thank you, Lord, for not making me like that tax collector. Thank you that I am a great giver, a great prayer. And he looks down on this tax collector and he feels superior. And he thinks he's just brilliant at his prayers and the things that he gives to God. And the tax collector comes to the temple with total humility. And he comes with a posture of, I'm not worthy. And he prays, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus asks the Pharisees there, he says, which one of these two guys do you think I'm going to listen to and answer in prayer which prayer pleases him and of course we know it's the tax collector who comes with that utter humility I want to say humility is key in developing a healthy consistent prayer life and I think honestly one of the reasons why I don't pray as much as I could is probably because of lack of humility if I'm honest I often lack that absolute knowledge 
of utter dependence on him. You know, we wake up, I wake up, and I get into my nice warm shower. And you know what? The heating's paid for by, by the work that I do. And I go downstairs and I put my nice coffee pot on, of which, again, I've paid for the coffee. I've done it. And I sit down and I start to look at my day. And I look at all the things, all the tasks that I'm going to get done. What am I going to do today? What do I need to get done? And I don't live in that place of often understanding that absolute need of him. Because I'm so focused on the things that I am going to do. That people are dependent on me to do. And we have a very comfortable life in this nation, don't we? So trying to understand that absolute utter dependence is not something that we actually find easy. Because we feel like we can do this. But I think on the flip side, there are many of you sitting here who may feel like actually, no, I feel like this widow. Her position, her vulnerability, I can empathise with. And I think that many of us feel like genuinely have no resources. Just like this widow. There's nothing left. And we are thoroughly dependent on God. But I want to say that in this situation, it's so easy to discount ourselves from praying because actually we feel totally inadequate. We feel like maybe, do you know what? I'm just not good enough to pray or my prayers aren't good enough or I'm not as eloquent as that person in my life group. Maybe you feel like your situation is just too dire for God to come into. I know um, I was diagnosed with a health condition quite a lot of years ago now and I'm back in 2008 I had chemo in hospital. It was a type of chemo and I was in there for three weeks and um, I came out having had this chemo, it was three weeks of solo chemo and I had been very, very ill in the hospital during this time. I was told you would be very ill. But I came out looking like Michelin Man, these guys will tell you, put on amazing amounts of weight, just with the fluids that were pumped into my body constantly. And honestly, I had to stop twice walking to the car park to get to the car because I was so out of breath. And I remember coming home and literally spending weeks in bed, unable to do anything. I couldn't... We had, we had Jesse at the time, and um, all I could do was sleep, really. And I remember before I went into hospital, I had these grand ideas. Do you know what? I've got three weeks... Well, it was going to be nine weeks in total off work. And I thought, great, I'm going to bring all these books into the hospital. I'm going to listen to all these talks. And um, I'm just going to really push into God. And I was so ill in the hospital that, honestly, I didn't get to anything. And I got home and, and I just couldn't do anything. I could hardly walk up the stairs. And there I was in this position in my bed and feeling a little bit maybe like this widow. Like, what do I have to bring 
What resources do I have? My body feels almost dead. I don't feel like myself. I feel like in a pretty dire position. But this parable here that Jesus tells is a parable of encouragement. If you feel like you're in that position today, this parable is to lift your head. It's to bring you encouragement. And I think Jesus wants to level the playing fields with this parable. Because I think there are those of us who might feel above prayer. And there are those who feel like we can't pray. And he wants us to teach us to pray. And he wants to make, make us realise that those who feel above prayer need prayer. And those who feel like they can't pray, can pray. And Jesus says he wants us all to pray and not lose heart. The second thing we realise about this widow's prayer is that she is particularly persistent in it. We see in the parable that there's something in this persistence that seems to threaten the judge in this parable. It says in verses 4 and 5, For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And this phrase, the word beat me down, actually is a boxing phrase. And it means to jab. And Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians 9 when he talks about disciplining his body, actually. And it literally is a term which means short, short jabs under the eye to cause bruising, to provoke a bruise. Okay? Um, it was probably something that was used around the Roman arenas. Okay? And it tells us something about this judge. Firstly, it tells us that after all of his bravado of turning this woman down. Actually, he's probably really a coward. Okay? But I think more importantly, it tells us something about this woman. There must have been something in her approach that made the judge feel that her requests are not just a fad. She's not going away. Maybe she's in this for the long haul. And Chris mentioned last week about how his kids keep requesting things and I can totally empathize with that my daughter is an expert uh, at, at nagging and um, she will just nag and nag and nag and nag knowing that my level of points of going okay I give in and I just wonder does the way we pray does it give off the same kind of persistent message that this woman displayed because I think, honestly, I tend to give up way too quickly in prayer. I might pray two or three or four times for something. But this woman, man, she was focused. She was resilient. She wasn't giving up. And Jesus actually praises this woman for her persistence in prayer. And I think this is the part in the parable where there's a lot of misinterpretation. And we start to confuse the story. We have that potential to misread it. We tend to think that Jesus is actually telling us this is how we are to be in prayer when it comes to him. 
were to be like my kids, who just seem to keep nagging and nagging until they get what they want. And when I think about this, there's visions of Jacob, you know, wrestling with the angel of God. And he wrestles so hard, and he doesn't give in, and he holds on until he receives the blessing that he wants. And actually, there's a tendency for us to look at this, and I know in my own life I've done the same, and go, wow, what a guy. I want that sort of persistence and resilience. But actually, we're talking about the God of the universe here, who spoke things into being. Do you really think Jacob wrestled God into submission? Is that what we think, honestly? Actually, I think we read that story wrong. This isn't something to praise Jacob over. Actually, he's, he's received phenomenal mercy from God in that story. But he's doing something highly stupid in messing with an all-powerful God. But you know, the danger is this, that we start viewing our relationship with God as a God who is reluctant to give us what we want when we ask for it. We start to see him as someone to win over. We start to see God as someone who's only going to give us what we want when we push and we push and we push. When we nag him into submission. And the, the other danger is that we start to see that our answers to prayer is down to us. Ha! Must be the great prayer that I am. That's why this came about. Because God couldn't take it any longer. And he gave us what we needed. That's the danger if we come to him with this view of the parable. I don't think this is a biblical view. And I don't think it's what Jesus is actually trying to tell us in this parable. And this is the point that is highly critical. So if you haven't listened so far, please switch on right now. We normally see in this parable two characters. We see the widow and we see the judge. And we know from verse 1 in this parable that this parable is about prayer. And so we think, okay, there's two characters involved. There is us. We must be the widow. And there's the judge. And that must be God. Because when we think about prayer, we know it's between us and God. But actually in this parable, there are three characters. There is the widow. There is the wicked judge. The corrupt judge. And there is Yahweh. And we're introduced to him in verse 7 of the parable. The true and faithful judge. And he says, And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. The wicked judge in this parable is not God. This judge, this wicked judge, he's corrupt. He's unpredictable in his actions. God is totally faithful and totally just. The wicked judge is hell-bent on denying every request that this woman brings. And I want to say to you, God loves you 
and he desires to hear from you. He wants to hear our requests. He's asked us to bring our requests to him. This judge cares nothing for this woman or for God. And yet God loves us. He cares for us. He has made us in his own image. He has spoken over us. He rejoices in us. He delights in us. Will God not give justice to his elect? In some translations, it's chosen ones. Will he not give justice to his chosen ones? Folks, God does not see us as a nuisance. You're not someone he dreads to hear from every day. He's not avoiding us and clicking, don't pick up. You are his chosen ones, and he loves to hear from you. He is never going to turn you down. He is never not going to listen to you day or night. He doesn't sleep. He's available 24-7. I want to say God is fundamentally unlike this wicked judge in the parable. Jesus is not saying this judge is like God. But what he is saying is this, the widow's prayer that can affect the heart of this self-centered, wicked, evil, cowardly judge. If she can affect this man's heart, how much more can we expect when we come to the most glorious, gracious, lavish, generous, loving and kind God. He wants to hear from us, and he's willing to answer our prayers. The reason why Jesus doesn't simply tell us to pray always, but he tells us to pray and not lose heart, is because we're not like this widow coming again and again and again to a judge where we feel like we're banging our heads against a brick wall, And we think, well, maybe one day, if we just keep going, if we just keep nagging, then he'll answer our prayers and you'll just get fed up. We come to a God who is naturally predisposed to grant us justice, okay? Because of his love for us. And here's the best thing, folks. This widow, she has no advocate to represent her in court. No one to go on her behalf. Do you remember she was totally alone? No one to comfort her. No one to stand in court and represent her. But I want to say we have an advocate in heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, who came to earth. He came to earth totally blameless, lived a perfect, spotless life was tempted in every way that we are, and yet never sinned. And the only thing that we do bring to him, folks, is actually our sin in this equation. It's the only thing we bring. And he took it. And he took it on himself. And he suffered. And he died. But he resurrected. He defeated death. 
He defeated sin and shame in our lives. And he ascended into heaven. And he is your representative. He pleads for us. He makes a case for us. He represents us. And when the Father sees what Jesus has done, he sees us clean. Because we're clean, because he sees the delight in his Son, he beckons us into his throne room. He delights in you. And not only does he represent us before God, but he's interceding for us. Where we lack in our prayer life, he is interceding for us. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, is interceding for us. Guys, this is such a crucial foundation for us when it comes to prayer. And I want to say, unless we can get this foundation, that we come not to an evil judge, someone who doesn't want to hear from us, unless we recognise that God is not a mean, stingy, reluctant God, we're never going to develop a prayer life that is consistent or has longevity. There are no books out there, no strategies, I think, that will affect your prayer life more than actually taking this truth into our lives and living it. Remembering that he is a lavish, generous God that we approach, that he is so willing to act on our behalf. So folks, if you're looking for that silver bullet, the shortcut way to that consistent prayer life, I want to be honest, when you find it, come and let me know. But I think rather than focusing on strategies and techniques, this truth is a really good place to start. Okay? I want us to just dwell on this truth. We can, I think there's lots to ponder on there, just looking at actually, are we truly dependent on him? Is that how we feel? Are we coming with that humility? Are we coming with that persistence? I think those are things for us to pray for and ask for, but I think fundamentally, remembering the God we come to is the key.